Welcome to Open Deeply Season 3, as we burn down shame and reclaim our power. The truths society pushes into the shadows are the very things that connect us. Truths around sexual authenticity, the wisdom of plant medicine, the pursuit of equity, and beyond. To open deeply, as Jack Cornfield says, takes tremendous courage, a warrior spirit. This unconventional path takes just that. So join us. Together, we have the courage to open deeply. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Laurie. Welcome to episode 42 of Open Deeply. I'm Sunny Megatron, clinical sexologist and kink educator, and my co-host is sex-positive, licensed marriage and family therapist, Kate Laurie. This is the second half of a two-part extended conversation with goddess Amina. Now, if you're just joining us for this episode as a standalone, you will absolutely get a lot out of it. However, the first half of this conversation focuses on Tantra and somatics, and it's not only great, it provides a ton of relevant context for this episode that you're about to hear. Let me reintroduce you to our guest, Goddess Amina, otherwise known as Amina Peterson. She's the founder of Atlanta Institute of Tantra, a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing access and pleasure and tantric embodiment in communities of color. She's also the host of the Fix Your Sex podcast. In 1997, Amina began her journey first as a sex surrogate, and she's also been a massage practitioner, yoga instructor, Reiki master, birth doula, personal trainer, and fitness coach. She has a background in nonprofit management and holds a BA in sociology from the University of Illinois. The goddess Amina believes that your orgasm is expansive energy, a way to experience your higher self. And her goal is to guide you home to your body where your magic lives. For Amina's full bio and more about her, see our show notes. And of course, before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is made for your entertainment and informational desires only. The podcast, any opinions we share, any resources, including social media and emails from us, are not therapy, they're not medical care or professional advice, and don't create a patient-client relationship. None of the information, opinions, suggestions, resources, or exercises mentioned in this podcast should be used without clearance from your healthcare provider. And all opinions, information, and ideas expressed by the guests are solely their own. If you need emergency mental health or medical help, please call 911 or 988 or go to your nearest emergency center. Now, here's part two of our conversation with the goddess Amina. To me, when I think about energy work, I think about the reality that I have the potential to change the structure of things with my thought. Because energy follows thought. That's what Tantra teaches. And it's true. If I think about something, this is one of the reasons why we tell folks not to tell children to not do something, right? Because the brain doesn't know how to not do something. And so if you say, don't fall, a few minutes later, the kid is falling because you just said fall. If you say, be careful, 
they have a different reaction in the body because energy follows thought. And so we have this potential, small and large, with the energy that we are creating this world that we're in. Energy has created everything from the recording systems that we're using right now from this podcast. This was all a thought before it was anything else. And so energy is that. And a lot of people get like, oh, it's so woo. And you're talking about sacred sex. You just want to have regular sex. Well, regular sex is sacred sex. And energy is everywhere. It is who we are until we're not anymore. There's electricity in your body. I've also worked with Tantra. Some of my teachers that could put their hands on you and push you back, not even touching you, just hand to towards your chest. It's energy is here whether we like it or not, like, you know, whether you want to believe in it or not. And so it's like, well, what else can I do with that? It's always in my head. Well, okay, I'm not bending forks yet, although I do try often. <laughs> I have not given up yet on this bending fork. It might be 85, <laughs> but I'm going to bend a fork one day. But it's also like, well, where else can I move my energy? And so when I'm doing energy work, I learned I can move it to genitals. <laughs> and then I get into the genitals, then things happen. And that's why I don't have, I can do touchless orgasms or I can do, you know, I can bring up energy in the body and I can actually sit with a group of people and we can all do it. And I think about when we were little kids, did y'all have Ouija boards or have a friend with one, right? And so what was that but energy? And then we'd let our hands go because we didn't believe it, but it's our energy creating communication, creating movement, creating the expansion of energy in the body, creating orgasm. You can think yourself into an orgasm when you start learning about your energy. Yeah, it's so interesting. I just wanted to say a few thoughts, like going back to what you were saying with the chakras. There was a time in my 30s that I was really close to being an atheist. And then I started having all these spiritual journeys. And now I'm much different, much, much different. And I remember there was a time that I just thought the chakras were like, you know, like silly hippie shit, which is interesting. A lot of like, just on a side note, there's, I know a lot of white people that identify as liberal progressive, and they also identify with science, where they poo poo these things that actually have indigenous origins. And they have this disconnect between wanting to be supportive of Black Lives Matter and this and that, but then not just so being so quick to poo pooing this stuff that actually has indigenous roots. And I'm like, dude, if you're going to do this, you need to like skip, you know, like think about this a little bit more. It doesn't make sense to completely. So anyway, the thing that got me paying attention to chakras was as a trauma therapist who also does somatic work on a loop. I kept on having clients with trauma telling me that they had knots like in their chest area or their neck area. And to the extent that when I told them that not everybody has it. They're like, what? I thought everyone was like that. I thought everyone had a knot here and a knot here. And then we would work through art therapy and EMDR and somatic work. And all of a sudden it would start to dissipate, break apart and their energy flow would start doing this, you know? And so then I was like, when I realized that those knots lined up with the chakras, I'm like, okay, well, okay, never mind. I am, <laughs> I'm never going to be like that again. When I realized that correlation, I'm never going to poo-poo this stuff so quickly. In fact, I'm going to start embracing it and looking at it with new eyes. Oh my gosh, there's different things that I could say, but I'll just say, before I go into this little brief story, let me just say that I would always say, if you have something serious like potentially having cancer or anything like that, 
I would always advise you to listen to your doctors, follow your doctor's advice, all of that. But you can also add a few other things along with what your doctors say, right? And so for me, I've experienced plant medicine journeys. And I remember one time I went, had a mammogram done. And they told me after the mammogram, they said, it looks like you might have a lump. You need to go come back. And then I did my plant medicine journey. And when it was done, in the deepest part, I said to her, I said, was I doing something weird with my hands? You know, and she's like, yeah, you were doing mudras and you were doing self-healing touch over your breasts. Mm -hmm. And in another area where I had a surgery site recently. And then I went back and I did the mammogram and they came back and they said, huh, you're fine. You know, your, your skin must have been folded. Now, I am not sitting there saying that I self-healed myself. There's no way for me to know. It's just interesting. It's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not telling the world, oh, you can heal yourself from cancer or anything like that. Do what your doctors say and all that. But it's interesting when you start to experience some of these things that could have to do with healing others or, or healing yourself through energy work. I hope, does that sound wonky that I just said that, all of that? Does that, how does that land with you guys? No, it doesn't sound wonky at all. I mean, and I think the reality is, is like, to me, my reality anyway, my reality is that one of the practices that I learned in Tantra Buddhism is a meditation practice where you kind of like, descend into your body. It's called somatic descent. And in that, which is really where I learned the like somatic as a real thing, right? Because the, the practice is called somatic descent. And in that, like you can go in and ask your body what's going on. You can ask your body what it needs. And so I think about the pill that was coated in something that was trying to kill you, that, that it, there's something of listening to the body that informed that moment of like, what is going on? And the doctors, bless their hearts, they're doing what they can with what they got. But in the U.S., that could be limited depending on where you're at, where you're going, where you live. And in the world, it can be limited, but it also can be prohibitively expensive. So I do tell people, you might be able to heal yourself if you try. I saw a man bend a fork. Anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen that. I've been to the Magic Castle and just like you, sat on a little teeny table with a magician and had him do that right in front of my eyes. And it's a trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I got another question for you. Again, I've listened to you talk on this. So I'm asking you to go a little bit deeper about how you feel patriarchy has impacted history. And if you can speak on the importance of culture in maintaining an oral tradition so that truth isn't lost. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. History is written by the victors, ain't it? And so, so much, and we see this right now more than ever, right? It's like, if you didn't believe it, well, guess what? Look at Florida. Look at these book bands across the world that are just trying to say, yep, none of this happened. I'd be a fool. We'd all be a, a society of fools if we thought this was the first time. We know better. We know this keeps happening time and time again. They keep rewriting history. That's where patriarchy has left us, in this space where there was a role that was hard to live up to. There was an expectation. I will give you that. I will put a grain of empathy in here. That there was an expectation that was held over you, that you volunteered and you said, we're going to uphold this. But that was an expectation that just wasn't realistic. It wasn't something that you 
And when I say you, I mean the men, the collective society of cis men could hold. And so they needed, they needed us to hold it with them. And in that came more responsibility for us. And so then the table turns a little bit. And now we have a lot of the power or the potential for power. Now we have an understanding that birth and the ability to birth is actually the thing you need most in order to perpetuate this capitalistic ideal that supports your patriarchy. And so we're now looking at, as we are in the age of Aquarius, for those of us that are that are the hippie snippies, that we have this reality of, okay, and so now it's time to return to the worship of the feminine. Now it's time to venerate the feminine, the feminine energy, the energy of nurture, the energy of creation, the energy of source, and it's terrifying. And for those who have been in power for so long and been harmful with their power, not just like empowered, but actually villainous with their power. And so it's not surprising to me that in all of this, that they must crack down. Because what if we're as villainous as they are? What if we're big, bad, evil, just like them? Well, we get power. What if that happens? Well, we can't let that happen because look, look what we've done. And I really think that that's where we are in the world. I think that we're at this junction of like, nope, can't pass that up, can't give that over and fighting tooth and nail to stay in this place of power. And then there's this sexual energy that is here also confronting it. There's this eroticism that says, oh, but I get to have sex how I want to have sex with who I want to have sex with. And that might go against your structure, family, that you need to hold capitalism. It doesn't serve much else. You need it to hold capitalism. In a matriarchal society, a child is born in the village. All the men would be the father. All those that are sitting in the masculine seat would supply that father type of energy. And instead, in a capitalist patriarchal society, what we have is I need to have ownership of my wife. I need to have ownership of my children. I need to have DNA tests to make sure that they're mine before I feed them. And so I'm pro-life, but not really, because I don't care if you eat, you're not my child, right? It, it's this whole system that's, that's being upheld based on this idea that we have to keep our power. It shows up in so many ways that people don't even realize. And for those of us, especially for those of us who are cis women who have upheld it in our own ways, I ran to it, right? I ran right back when I ran to go get married. I knew that was safe. I knew that I wouldn't receive as much harm. I wouldn't be faced with that. And that was my reality. So there's a way for me to uphold that. There's also a way for me to buck against the system, which is where I'm at and have been for a while. It's like, well, actually, well, actually, <laughs> patriarchy, look, look at all the things that we can do with our bodies. And actually, I can actually start to teach people how to know what they really want, which means you won't be able to sell them what you think they want. Mm, yes. I can teach people how to experience pleasure in their bodies and then they can have choice about who they want to share that pleasure with instead of thinking that because this person has these body parts that they will be able to give me pleasure, that I actually know how to access it myself. And that to me, this is how we fight patriarchy.
is by offering us up something way more delicious, way more beneficial, way juicier, way more healing, way more whole, connected. That is the anti-patriarchal kind of model. Yeah. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. As I say, like, there is so much subversion in our perversion. We don't even realize what the power that we have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's safety. So I've been reconciling my relationship with the pick me, you know, because I get it. I get it. This is a big, scary place. And people are being killed because they're turned down a sexual advance. And men are violent. That's a part of the reality. Women are more likely to be killed by a partner that they, you know, by a sexual partner, intimate partner than anyone else on the planet. And so there's this idea that if I could just dress it right, and if I could just say the right things, then I'll be safe. And it's a falsehood. I know that. I know that because you know that, right? <laughs> Because every example that we have shows us that that ain't going to protect you, sis. That ain't going to protect you, sibling. And I understand why you still, well, what is, what will protect me? Because this ain't protecting me. And there's, I mean, I'm glad to be on this podcast, but there's a hundred other ones telling me, well, if you act like that, you'll never get married. I can't tell you how many times people try to hurl that to me as an insult. And I'm like, well, I, I got to break it to you. This is... I'm married, and this is my third time. Hoes get married all the time, baby. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, but I get it. And so there's this, like, also this allowing myself just to be and to kind of hold energetic empathy for the pick me, the person that's doing all the things, hoping that they get picked so that they can be safe in this horrible, horrible system that we are in. And I think I can hold space for both me and all of my fullness, all of my wild, crazy, all of my joy, all of my pleasure, and for her and the misery that she's in and seeking protection while all the while holding out hope that will shift the gauge just enough for us to all experience safety in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I want to go into the politics of sex, you know, like we're kind of already there. Like we've passed the front porch. We're in the living room. Let's like go into the back of the house. We'll go into the basement, the bedrooms. Like, you know, one of the things that you had said was just how nonsensical it is that we can sell a waterfall, but we can't sell our own pussy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like, let's dive even deeper into that, like political control and the politics of that. Yeah. I sit sometimes just, trying to figure that out honestly like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) like why is this not legal i I just can't wrap my mind around it and i live a lot of my life now in costa rica Mm -hmm. where it is legal pimping is illegal but right uh, sex work is legal and it's just this idea that we have that my mother is not religious at all she's never had never taken us to church a day in her life and still holds on to this kind of puritanical idea around sex because it is so deeply ingrained into the fabric of America. Like you want to talk about some weaving. Like it's, I talk to people all the time that have no basis, no root basis for their ideologies that they don't even realize where it's coming from. 
And people still hold on to this. Like, you don't really believe, and I'm not saying this for everybody, because some people do, but a big chunk of the world now is further and further from the belief that the sky dude is judging every act that we do. Yet, the rules that were written 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago are being used to manipulate an entire society. And it's just no critical thinking. There's just no, why does this need to be illegal? In what way, right? And then, again, we have, you know, swerfs holding up patriarchy that are just like, well, anybody that does that is just, there's no way you're doing it willingly. You know, it's just this idea that, like, yeah, I'm sorry that that's really, really bad for you, that sex is that awful for you, that you can't imagine yourself having it. But I tell you, there's a lot of people that are having a lot of sex with a lot of people and not getting paid a dime for it. What difference does it make? What's the difference? Is it just the money exchange? Because mm-hmm. no one said this. I mean, okay, maybe some people behind my back said it in high school, but no one was saying it when I was you know, sleeping with this person and that person in my senior year of high school having the time of my life. If that was, if I had earned a coin, that would have been a whole different story. And it would have been like I was being abused. But the only thing that's different is that I would have been able to eat. Yep. Right. The only thing that's different is that I have a, a roof over my head. And then there's this idea that I just do not understand because I've worked in corporate. I've always done this work on the side. I was in corporate for a long time. I definitely sold more of myself to corporate than I Hell ever yes. yep. to a client. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we can just, sitting here in the wake, well, in the very high and tumultuous wake of COVID, we're living in this space where people could not literally not go to work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while a pandemic was ravaging their bodies, catching COVID three, four, five times from the workplace, from the school. And you're going to tell me that the politics of having sex selling my body is worse than that. I didn't see a single client during COVID, kept my head afloat. Like, what are you talking about? I was able to honor the World Health Organization's recommendations and sit my ass in the house and write and talk about sex and have classes and workshops online in a way that was very beneficial. I did some live shows. I opened up an OnlyFans account in my 40s. Yeah. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Time of my life, uh, you know, while trapped inside the house. But it's just this idea that we, I sit stumped at it because I cannot follow the logic train. And I'm a logic person. I need to be on the logic train. And I just, if we take Sky Guy out of it, where is the logic train? Where does it start? Where does it end? Where's the caboose? I'm lost here. It feels like just random cars sitting off in the distance and none of them moving anywhere, just talking points, talking heads. And it's so frustrating because it's so loud, right? So many of us that are in sex work are unable to be up front and center and loud. And so there's just a few voices. There's one Sunny Megatron. There's one Amina. There's one, you know, one Luna Matata. There's not enough of us to go against, it feels like, this machine that's just screaming consistently. And I think maybe that's it, right? It's just the consistency of the yell that makes people believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's nothing, there's nothing holding it. It's like a straw house. There's nothing 
holding it. All we got to do is huff and puff and blow. And we're just not doing that. And so politically, I'm stumped right now. We're supposed to have flying cars, okay? We should not still be talking about abortion and sex. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, in uh, pleasure activism, Adrian Marie Brown talks about this quite a bit. And she talks about how, you know, look, she's talking through the lens of black and brown people. And she's like, a black and brown person can make more in a day doing sex work than a week doing some menial job that is disempowering. And for me, switching from Adrian to me, I have a lot of friends. I also have a lot of clients that are porn performers or escorts. And what I find is their level of happiness is usually dictated by how empowered they are. Like if they can say who, how much, and when, the more they can say who, how much, and when, the more they're likely to be happy. And I certainly have friends and clients that love what they do. They love sex and they love being a porn performer or an escort or what have you. I mean, I know that's not always the case, but most of the people I know, they do have that agency in it. Even if you don't have quite as much agency, you know, it's like, like Adrian says, if you can make that much in a day versus a whole week of menial labor where you have some boss that's been, you know, beating you down, like that person should make the decisions on which way they want to go. And if that's better for them, let them decide. Absolutely. And I don't want to leave survival sex work out of the conversation because that's real. I worked for a, a while with survival sex workers when I was an HIV counselor and tester. And so I also know that that's a reality. And I also know that the Kuana project that we had in Hawaii was one of the only ones in the world that actually worked to assist trans women specifically to be able to have a skill set that allowed them to approach work. And that's just the approach. Because now you still got to go through the fact that you have to sit through an interview in a transphobic society that won't offer you the job anyway, or someone that's come out of prison and is not eligible for most work. So their only options are five, six, seven dollar an hour jobs and homelessness, because there's nowhere in the world you can live on Georgia's minimum wage. There's nowhere in the world. You definitely can't live in Hawaii on Hawaii's minimum wage. And that's high compared to the rest of the world's, you know, cost of rent is higher. Also, you're not leaving options for those that you say are forced into this. There's not, well, what else do they get to do? I'm not even talking about trafficking because I don't use trafficking in conversations about sex work because it's not sex work. It's slavery. It's different. We have a name for that. But when it comes to sex work, to those of us who have chosen to be a sex worker, whether it's because we needed to eat or because we like fucking or, sorry, I didn't even ask. I'm just swearing. Yeah, just okay. say That's it. Whatever the reason that we've made the conscious decision to take that away from me actually sounds like you're doing exactly what you're saying I couldn't do anyway. You've removed my autonomy from my body. You've removed choice from my own body, which like, how does that work? So we're just, we're just defiling that whole system. The book Half the Sky is backing what you're saying. You know, it's about, especially when sex work is not consensual or someone has been beaten down and pulled into something that's more like trafficking or what have you. And it basically says the best way to 
shift that is to educate girls, to give them education. And from that place of education, now they have options, you know, which is basically what you were saying a minute ago. Yeah. You know? I mean, we could start with just some basic comprehensive sex ed before they reach puberty. How about that? So the first person that talks to them about sex is not a trafficker. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, there's some basic stuff we could do, but we just, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I'm going to need Botox from the what the fuck lines on my forehead. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. do we laugh or cry? Okay. <laughs> Doing a little turn away from that, you know, that's like very saddening topic. So you're a Tantra leader predominantly for the black and brown community. Do you think you'll ever be a plant medicine leader as well, if you feel like you can talk about that? Yeah, I lead plant medicine ceremonies and I work with a shaman in Ecuador. And so I take folks up there. We work with Huashima or San Pedro, which is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> my favorite little cactus friend. We were growing San Pedro here now because I just love it so much. I just want to honor it. Uh, I'm also now growing peyote. So I may start working with that in a bit. But right now I'm I'm learning under shaman for San Pedro ceremony. And I've been doing that since June 2021. Uh, we started in the pandemic and which was was also very accidental. But I was like, we got to get out of here. We got to go somewhere else. And I just asked EJ, I said, well, what do you want? Do you want mountains or beach? Because we're out of here. And he said mountains. And so I found this beautiful house that was a little bit more than what I said I was going to, my budget was, but I was like, after looking at it for like a month, I was like, fine, we're going here. And we get there and it was the house of this beautiful shaman with the labyrinth, which was what I was interested in. It had this huge labyrinth in the yard. And I was like, I want to just be able to walk around a labyrinth away from the world as this thing is happening, right? And I had been, up until then, I had been holding mushroom ceremonies and I used to host canna-sexual cuddle puddles, which I always tell people, canna is still met plant medicine, even though some of us use it way more than others, <laughs> that it's still plant medicine. We get there and I tell the shaman that like, I'm so excited because it was dark when we landed. I'm so excited to, for the morning because I can't wait to walk in the labyrinth. And his face lit up and he says, did you see it? It's all San Pedro. It's, it's 982 plants. And I was like, what? Wow. And so I literally just landed into the lap of a shaman who, who has been working with me, him and his partner to teach me bit by bit of holding ceremony in the tradition of the people in the foothills of the Andy mountains and in Ecuador and in Peru. And then I also partner with another organization, La Vida Divine, that's also in Ecuador, and they do more jungle medicine, so the ayahuasca and things of that nature. I don't work with jungle medicine. I haven't been called to it in any way, shape, or form. I'm a pleasure slut, and ayahuasca does not speak pleasure to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll punch you in the face. It'll also give you a ton of gifts, but it'll, yeah, it'll uh, give you a ton of gifts. You might not want all the gifts, but it's going to give them to you anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You probably know this. Like, so for me right now, I'm taking a, a class called Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, and I'm about to go to the Denver Psychedelic Science Convention, which is going to be the the biggest of its kind in the history of the world. And I'll tell you what, in these classes that I'm taking, okay, so I'll be done with this class in January. I'm about a month and a half or two months deep into it. 
I've already done 10 hours that were just devoted to access inclusion, just with black PhDs talking about the issues about access and inclusion of black and brown people. And even outside of those classes, it's getting brought up on the regular in the other classes that are part of this whole thing constantly. But still, I mean, you know this, it's like, when I go to a retreat center or I go different places, it's just so much white people talking to white people about the issue that black people are not there. And so I recently I reached out to the person, I'm not going to say her name on, you know, while we're recording, but I reached out to the person that I thought would be the best person that happens to be black that I thought would be like magic in this world. And what she said to me, she's like, Kate, I would love to be part of this. But even though I have therapy education, I'm not licensed and I don't have the money, like the blocks in terms of education and financial keep me out of it. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that, because I mean, to me, you tell me if I'm wrong, but based on conversations that I've had with both black people and transgender people, not about this topic, but about non-monogamy, when I was writing my book, I asked them to talk to me and they talked to me about like the bigotry that's in the fetishization that they sometimes feel in non-monogamous community. And I said, what's the solution? They said, we need black and brown run parties and events. And it seems like that might be the same solution with the psychedelic movement that we need black and brown run retreat centers and clinics. Yeah. And I will say that MAPS needs to get its head out of its ass. I am deeply embedded into the psychedelic community and I could talk for hours about this topic. I know we don't have that much time, so I won't go (laughs) super heavy, but we can be on the phone later and just chit chat about it. MAPS, along with most of these organizations that exist, that have existed since the do good 70s and 60s, they feel like they do good. Mm -hmm. That's enough. Right. We don't have to bring that up here. I applied to present at MAPS this year and wasn't accepted for who knows what reasons. I'm not blaming that on race or anything like that. But I will say that there's a lot of conversations that people don't want to have and they're not having them at MAPS. There's a lot of harm just since we're here and this is this talk show, a lot of sexual harm at the hands of these so-called shaman and so-called psychedelic sitters and trainers and facilitators. I will say this until I rest in my grave or in my little urn (laughs) that I do not believe that men should be in this work without having a woman by their side or a two-spirit person by their side as their leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. And until they clear that up, nothing good's going to come out of it. So we have to have our own spaces. We have to have our own spaces where we create our own protection because it's not going to be there Nothing else that we've learned in history is that I, as a black woman, as a black femme, am not safe in an environment that is led by white men. And I'm intoxicated. Oh, hell to the no. That right there should be Matt's headline this year. So I'm not surprised that my presentation didn't get accepted. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 I've noticed times where I have brought up hard questions and there's kind of this crickets and tumbleweeds response. And, you know, just to back up what you're saying, like for anyone listening that doesn't know what Amina's talking about, I'd encourage you to check out The New Yorker came up with a podcast. I think there's eight episodes. It's a New Yorker cover story and it's season one. It, It has I think about eight episodes that talk about what Amina is talking about right now in depth. 
It's definitely an issue across settings. There's a lot of work to be done there. But we're skipping that work. And well, by we, I mean like the general psychedelic community is skipping that work because it will get in the way of profits. There are enough black and brown facilitators in the world right now. And there's enough trans and queer facilitators in the world right now. We're bringing more of those into the space, into the world. I'm seeing more and more of that training being created for us and by us. And I would love to live in a dreamland where MLK's dream came to be, but that ain't where we're at. And so the reality is, is that it would be foolish Betty Martin talks about it in The Art of Receiving and Giving, and she talks about how like how foolish it is to trust something that has been proven tr- untrustworthy over and over again. It would be foolish of us to continue to show up into these spaces. And so while it's an unpopular opinion, mine is that we should withdraw until change is made. Enough kumbaya. Like There's just not a need for this right now. There has to be a significant pause Mm-hmm. where we say we're going to address these core issues before we move forward because the plants are going to disrespect us if we don't. And I think the reality is that, you know, folks have found the medicine and are dishonoring the roots of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no way we're having conversations about plant medicine, which has been demonized across every border as a part of the uncivilized Browns person's medicine. And now, now you're going to go to maps next week or in a couple weeks and see that everybody there, like you will count the brown folks. And my favorite thing is to challenge you. And I love to give this challenge for people so y'all can see. And I said that you won't see, but anybody listening can also see. Look at the number of brown people that won't pass the paper bag test. Now we're in some shit. Now we got two people three people maybe at a whole conference that are identifiably African origin. For people listening that don't know that, I know what it is, but like there's some folks that don't know what that is. The paper bag test is the, uh, think of a color of the of a paper bag from the grocery store. And if you're darker than that, there have historically been a lot more limitations. And there's been a lot of like dating controversy around like, you're not even dateable, right? And so there's a lot more depth to the issue than people are paying attention to. And so you may have someone who has all of the accolades on paper, but when they get ready to go present, they're turned away because they they don't fit the description. They don't fit the mode of who's supposed to be speaking right now, who's who can be perceived as an expert. There's a reason why we like marketing tools, they use British accents for Americans mm-hmm. because it's perceived as this is more intelligent than me. <laughs> right, right. And so with this little question bundle that we're, we're on right now, I think the last thing I'd just like to say is, and maybe it's a two-part question, just like you mentioned San Pedro, like what do you think are the gifts that San Pedro and plant medicine has given you What do you think are some of the gifts that can be given to black and brown people if they can have access to it, like in the way that they should and to this world, like on a global level? Yeah, I will say, and I can speak this from experience because I take groups to Ecuador and one of the groups that I take regularly is just groups of black men Mm -hmm. and witnessing them 
experience. San Pedro has blown my mind. And what I think it does is it makes you bigger. It makes you bigger than you've ever been. Because on San Pedro, San Pedro gives you permission to take up all the space that your energy can expand into. And there is no shrinking. You cannot shrink. To me, it's the one of the greatest gifts. And as my shaman said, she looked at me one day and she's like, your people need this medicine. And the older man would have been like, your people, who you talk about? But I knew exactly what she meant because she saw the same thing of these, this reality of like living in this world that is constantly forcing you to be a little bit smaller, to contract a little bit. And so that you either never feel or you forget what it feels like to actually be fully stood up in your dignity, to be fully expanded in your wholeness. And San Pedro gives you that. And to me, that is a magic pill because every man that comes off that mountain that I take them to comes back a different person because of it. That's amazing. And so that to me is is a huge, huge reality. And it just feels like love. I'm a love bug. My birthday is the day after Valentine's. I like love shit. And so San Pedro is a plant that just, it feels like the universe is giving you a hug for 10 hours. Like there's also that. And where you get to really experience like a connectedness with the planet, with a source, something greater than you. But you see your connection in it everything and it is mind-blowing to be in that space so that's my commercial for san pedro <laughs> ask your doctor if you should try san pedro. <laughs> i love it i love it this conversation has been amazing you know i feel like we hit all the important things from like the big systemic stuff that we've got going on to like how we can start making that change in like our little communities to like how that connects to like, how do I feel in my body right now? And it's all freaking connected. I feel like we did a big like loops of a bunch of circles. So this has been amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. This has been way fun and it just feels good to be like in the company of people who are like, yeah, right. uh-huh. we and all so, get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that this is a podcast and not just a phone call and that this echo chamber gets to go out there in the world. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Oh, yeah. And awesome. please do a shout out. Like, what do you got going on? What do you want to promote? Like, how can people find you? I'm ATL Tantra everywhere because I landed in Atlanta several years ago and I've had Tantra in the Bay and Tantra in Paradise and then ATL Tantra is where I landed. So you find me at ATL Tantra, atltantra.org is my website. And what's coming up, I have a breathwork training program that's now moving across the country, Breathe Into Bliss. It's a practice that I actually wanted to do something for therapists who have non-touch who can't touch with their license so that they can actually invite some somatic awareness into the body and then use energy work to help the client feel where they're at with their own breath. And so that's happening all over. We're in LA next week, 
Chicago and DC. I have a class in Houston coming up, or you can come down to my retreat center in Costa Rica and take a class there. And then I have retreats all the time in Costa Rica. So almost every month there's another retreat. Some of them are weekends, some of them are week long, but all of them are open to everyone. And I always like to tell people the Institute centers blackness and it particularly centers black women. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're okay with us being at the center, then you're welcome. So we were, I was like, was well, it just for black people or was it just for brown people? It's just for everybody that's going to let us be in the center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So please check me out and, and shoot me a message. Follow me on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. Although I mostly just talk, I mean, I tweeted about farts the other day. It's nothing super deep over there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, come get to know me. Awesome. And for those listening along, I know you've got so much to chew on. If you miss any of those links, don't worry. They will be in the show notes. And I invite you all to join us once again on our our next episode when we dare to open deeply thank you for listening find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at kate marie or at sunny megatron check back bi-weekly for new episodes and until next time remember your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.